Hi everyone, I'm Pamelia Chia and you're listening to the Singapore Noodles podcast. Today's episode is another one in our Everyday Singaporean series, a series where I speak with Singaporeans who have stories or interesting perspectives to share. My guest on this week's episode is To Hui Ran, who moved to Thailand to work in a non-profit organization that deals with ecosystem restoration and farming. Hi! Hello. You know, yesterday I was just going through all your posts and reading, and I think you have such a good perspective on so many different things. So it's very exciting for me to speak with you today. I think I read one of your posts that said that the two things that taught you the most about food was mm. food rescuing and growing food. So can you tell me about food rescuing? Because I think it's something that a lot of people are not very familiar with. Food rescuing is basically approaching retailers of food, any kind of food. So it can be fresh produce, it can be cooked food, and then asking them for the food that they are not going to sell. So anything that they're intending to throw away, anything that, because I think they all have a forecast of what um, they can't keep anymore at the end of the day. I mean, I guess that's the case, like even for restaurants, right? So it's just going to them and saying, okay, um, can I have this? And then, you know, sometimes explaining what it's for. Often it's to, uh, sometimes it's to give to charity. Sometimes it's just for personal consumption. Uh, it kind of depends on the retailer and the relationship you have with them. Uh, and then the, and then sort of making that into a relationship. So trying to make that into a long-term thing where you um, build, yeah, where you build a relationship with that person who's selling food. Um, you set up something regular with them. They know and they accept your motivations and then yeah you you consistently um take the 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 stuff from them that they otherwise would probably throw away mm. yeah. so it's not like a one-off thing it's a continuous kind of process of going to the same retailer and asking them for food that they might otherwise throw away yeah the the sort of the the practice i guess of food rescue i does aim to be something that's more consistent, that's more long-term. Um, I, I know that, of course, there's people, there are like a lot of instances where you would just go to like a place one time and you know, ask for what they're going to throw away. I'm sure people do that, but as far as I'm aware and remember, because I've not been involved in the scene in Singapore for a while, um, yeah, it is something that aims to be um, a, a, a more like continued thing because... <laughs> You know, if you just do it once, it's a bit weird, right? Like, hey, uncle, yeah. you're going to throw that away, can I have it? But, you know, if you, like, are friends with the guy, then, yeah, that, then that makes it, um, I think, a much more, like, like, an actual fulfilling, like, purposeful thing to do. Mm. And do you find it easier to go to, like, smaller kind of retailers as opposed to big, say, supermarket chains to ask for food? In my experience, and I have to preface that, I haven't done it in a while, so maybe my experience is a little outdated. Yeah, definitely that's the case. I know that from from what my friends say, people who have tried to approach supermarkets or big chains and stuff, often they have a lot more rules and bureaucracy, so it's very hard to get the stuff that they're going to throw away. They're going to put it in a bin, and often they lock the bin room. They have surveillance cameras and stuff, so there's a yeah, you have to like break into the bin room and like secretly jump into the bin and stuff. You're very unlikely to get it directly. Yeah. But with um, smaller proprietors, like people who own their own shop, um, 
because they are in, in control of their own goods and the you know their own practices in that way. Um, or even I think yeah, even for like food chains, if like if the the staff there are have the ability to make those decisions, I think that that's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And how did you get started with this? Back then you were a uni student? No, I actually had just started working. It was in like, I think my first three or four months of my first job after uni. And what I got started with was dumpster diving, uh, which is the predecessor of food rescue. Yeah. It, yeah, I all started from the dustbin. And the way that I got started with that is one day, one night, out of the blue, I was feeling very frustrated with my, my job um, and just feeling very frustrated with corporate life in general. And it was very late at night and on Facebook, I saw this post by a guy, Daniel. Daniel, so he's kind of the founder of a lot of these movements, like Food Rescue and stuff. Um, he posted a picture that he took of all this stuff that he had rescued of the du- from the bin. And I think we were in a Facebook group together and there was so much stuff. There was like long beans, tomatoes, all sorts of fresh produce. And it all looked so edible. I was like, that's insane. So it was just a Facebook post, lots of people were commenting. And so I commented, I was like, hey, um, when are you going to do this again? Can I join you? And he was like, yeah, sure. So we set up a date. He went, he was going to Little India at that point. He started at Little India because he heard that at Little India, there are all these small shops that um, kind of throw their stuff in these very accessible common bins. And so it's very easy to dumpster dive. And so I was like, yeah, okay. So yeah, one day. And at that point in time, Daniel, he had been dumpster diving and living as a freegan, so someone who didn't spend money for quite a while, but he had only just started to go public with what he was doing or like share about it. Um, a few other people had asked to go with him, but it was like still kind of a novelty. It was still kind of new at that point. Um, so yeah, I showed up. There were a couple other people and he took us dumpster diving. And I was like so mind blown, you know. I, I I had never looked in the dumpster before. I wasn't against it. I feel like you know, I'm I'm pretty chill with that sort of thing. But yeah, we got all this stuff. Like the the sometimes the people who are throwing stuff out, they would just offer it to us. They were like, oh yeah, here, don't look in the bin. I'll just give you this box of stuff. And so that was like the how I how I first got into it. And then after that, I was so intrigued by it. I thought it was, I thought it was so cool because you're like directly preventing food as in you're like doing something very very immediate to intercept this food waste it's not like policy or whatever it's like super tangible so that was really cool and then slowly like that attracted more people and then that snowballed into the food rescue movement where yeah instead of like going to the dustbin we would just go and ask Mm. people directly you know so at first we assumed like oh they won't want to give it to us so we have to look in the bin and then slowly slowly that became like oh you know we can actually have this have this relationship with a person instead of a dustbin Mm. and at any point did you find it taboo to kind of like talk about this with your parents or with your friends um i've never told my mother (laughs) 
Okay, no, I brought her to Food Rescue because Food Rescue is pretty kosher. Okay. I've never brought her dumpster diving. I, <laughs> but I, I told my dad. My dad is like super cool about it. He's like really encouraging. With my friends, not at all. I thought it was... I, I didn't think that it was um, a taboo thing. If anything, I, from the start, I felt that it was something that really should be shared or like told to more people that like people should really know about. Yeah, yeah but I, yeah. <laughs> I guess you'll find out when she listens to this podcast then. <laughs> um, but I, I feel that a lot of people, you know, regardless of generation, they have this very negative stereotype when it comes to um, like saving the earth or just reducing waste in general. I remember when I was working um, as a chef at a restaurant, um, I just couldn't, it was my very first job. And I couldn't bear to see the amount of stuff that they were throwing away. So I was like, okay, if you're going to throw that away, I'm going to bring it home to make stock or something, you know, don't throw the fish bones away or don't bring the chicken bones, don't throw the chicken bones away. And Mm. like, I think like it was met with a lot of derision, not derision, more like mocking laughter, kind of like, oh, you you know, like, why are you acting like a latime, you know? Like, those were the words that he used, like... That's so mean. No, no, no. But I mean, like, they don't understand why anyone would want to bring trash home, you know? So, mm. you know, it, it's very inconvenient for someone to kind of put, like, fish bones or fish yeah. or chicken bones into a bag and then carry it on the MRT all the way home. Like, you smell yeah. like fish, you smell like chicken. So they just couldn't understand, you know? And they were like, oh, why are you going to be, like, a latime? And then, like, even small things like when I tried to talk to our dishi about not throwing away plastic containers, like, you know, it can be reused. Mm. Uh, it's not, you know, you just use one time and then you just throw it away. So I was yeah. having a chat with the dishi and I was like, you know, don't throw it away. You know, we have to try to be more environmentally friendly. And he was like, you know, you want me to save the earth, then who's going to save me? You know, that kind of mindset. Yeah. Um, so what are some difficulties that you have like initiating these kind of conversations with friends who might not feel the same about climate change or feel the same about being more sustainable? Actually, I feel like the way that I approach things is usually um, so, sometimes I I try to I don't really like to have conversations that I know will end up in a roadblock. I feel like that, like, I don't really know how to argue my way out of that or how to persuade my way, like, past someone's psyche in that way. So I I don't really do that very much because I feel like, like, yeah, the argument, like, if some, you save the world, who's, like, you save the earth and who's going to save me? Actually, that's like really hard to, to argue with, you know. It's like, I do feel kind of bad for you. So, I would say I'm, like, I avoid wandering into that. But in situations where I can, like, so- somewhat control the outcome of things. So, in a situation where, like, I know that there's something going to be, that's going to be wasted. Or there's something that's going to be, um, like yeah, like, there's some plastic that, that could actually be recycled or something. As, yeah, like, as a conflict avoidant person, 
if I like remember or if, if I have the consciousness for it, I try to just step in and like do what I can and like, like bring a box or something or like bring bring extra boxes or like um yeah, like do the thing that I, I would like the other person to do. Um in my old workplace, I actually for I'm very fortunate to be in a lot of situations where people are very receptive to being eco-friendly. Sometimes even sometimes is sometimes if they are not, yeah, I feel like I, I take like the, the action route. Like if someone's not gonna bring a container, I'll bring an extra container. Because mm. yeah, I don't like to argue and also I don't like to be like, you know, to go back and forth with people. And I also really don't like to see plastic. So I'm just like fine, I'll I'll just bring an extra box and you can use the extra box. Um and I and I feel like yeah, like the the reason why I write so much on Instagram and online is because I feel like I have something to say. I feel like the way I say it, like from my own mind, that, that makes sense. Or so that's something that I, I feel very comfortable expressing. Um and usually that like it it's turned out to be a nice conversation starter, even with people who don't really care about these things. Um, so they kind of get brought in instead of me me going to them. Um, and yeah, for people that I can't convince, I just like, well, mm. sucks and sucks. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the hindrances for many people to take a stand is there are so many um, people who try to point out hypocrisies in your lifestyle like the moment you try to take a stand on something then they'll start like looking out for yeah. discrepancies do you yeah. feel the same yeah i've encountered that um like for example when you try to use like um a take a reusable takeaway container instead of uh, a plastic one you know one of those one of those throwaway ones and then one of the very common counter arguments is you're also gonna waste water washing your container what? Um I, I have come across that. Sometimes I have like some facts to back it up. So I've had to look up some stuff. Like for example, it takes up it takes a lot more water to produce a throwaway mm. container than to wash your own container. But usually I'm just like whatever, you know, if you have this mindset, like mm. I just use my container and move on with life yeah sometimes it's very very difficult to change you know the way that people are living because it's so ingrained right and i think this kind of thing yeah. but you have to understand you have to see some intrinsic uh, value in doing certain things if not you can never yeah. change the way that you do things so with dumpster diving do you feel like everyone around you do you feel that it was a little bit of like preaching to the choir? Like people who come on these kind of dump, dumpster dives naturally are people who are very eco-conscious. The thing that I really liked about dumpster diving and food rescue is actually that it wasn't something like this. Because f firstly, the person who started doing all this, he's not like an eco guy. Like he's not someone who came at it from an environmental perspective. Um, it was yeah. It wasn't at all his motivation. He was just like, just like I don't want to spend money, and this stuff is free, and yeah. it's sad that it's thrown away. I think a lot of people can get behind that because it's a lot more fundamental. Like everyone likes free stuff. Um, a lot of people like efficiency. I think Singaporeans are big fans of efficiency or like 
an efficient resource allocation. The thing, yeah, the thing I really liked about it was that it didn't come with any values attached to it, any like values of typical environmentalism. And so a lot of people were really, like a lot of people got involved who had nothing to do with any kind of environmentalism at all. Mm. Even to this day, um, as far as I'm aware, so like a lot of people who are like mid-career professionals, like aunties, uncles, like people who are in their 30s, 40s, um, yeah, like students, of course, like your typical, like, you know, also like environmentalists. But a lot of the time, or it was, yeah, people who want free food, people who are connected with another kind of cause, another kind of charity, like some kind of social work who want to, to help to channel this food to, to um, like someone else who needs it, or just people who, like, I think see some kind of problems with society and saw that this could plug a gap in those problems because it really is sort of killing two birds with one stone. You reduce food waste and you can provide a lot of people with, with some pretty good food. Mm. Yeah, so it was sort of more of that, like a really wide spectrum of people. And that, that's kind of what drew me to it because I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the typical environmental crowd. I don't really like things like raising awareness or whatever, mm. but yeah, I like stuff that has a, has a, like an impact, like a tangible impact. Mm. I find it so interesting that you say that a lot of uncles and aunties were there, uh, people who wanted free stuff, because I feel that in their perspective, like looking, yeah, looking for food in the dumpster or like in the bins is like regression, right? A lot of these people, they, they kind of grew up, maybe like in my dad's generation, like people who grew up in the kampong. Yeah. So I think there's like boomers and there's like Gen X, right? And then us which is millennials and then gen z so people in gen x are maybe a little bit more like they grew up with some more affluence but people in the boomer generation are a little bit past that uh yeah they are they very much like grew up very thrifty they grew up with all these values of like not wasting stuff and so intrinsically they just don't like waste and i think they still have that in them even though a lot of them kind of have made it a lot of people who went dumpster diving, they were pretty well off. They had like, you know, nice cars and like decent businesses. But they were like, yeah, this reminds me of, of something that's more kampong like, mm. which I think is reflect has been reflected to me by like my dad, a lot of his friends. Like they want something that's like reminds them of the kampong. So I've never gone dumpster diving, but I am quite intrigued and and quite quite open to to see how it's like. Um, but I guess. The first question in my head and in many people's heads is, um, is it dirty? Because, you know, it's with all the decomposing stuff and dirt and things like that. So, Yes and no. From the, I think from experience, you have to know when time is very important because people are going to throw out, throw out stuff at a certain point in the day, probably at the end of the day. I I don't know, is that the case for like restaurants also? Yeah, usually at the end of the day. Yeah, so for these shops, they would collect their rubbish outside the store and then they would bring everything to the dumpster at one go at 10 or 11 p.m. And then the truck would come mm. a little bit after that. And so there's actually a very specific window of time where you are going to get stuff that has just left the shop and just reached the dumpster. 
And you're not going to encounter that much stuff that has been in the dumpster for a long time because mm. people just don't have that kind of time or they are just not going to like, you know, constantly bring a small box of stuff to the dustbin every once in a while. Obviously, there is like, you know, some like sketchy stuff all the way to the bottom, but we don't usually, we didn't usually go all the way to the bottom. A lot of the times, it's like, you know, everyone's a bit lazy throwing rubbish, right? Sometimes you just want to put your stuff there and then just leave. Mm. And you're always gonna you're always gonna collect it in a box. So a lot of the times it was just in boxes. Sometimes uh like largely it was stuff that was still of edible value, but it doesn't look nice, it's going to spoil tomorrow, and so they throw it away today. Mm. Some of it was like, you know, you have a box that's legitimately like half bad, half good, like tomatoes. Tomorrow's people, I think if they find a few bad ones, they throw the whole box away. Mm. I think they are worried that the the rot will spread or something like that. But sometimes you have to pass, you get that, you have to pass through that. Um, but by and large, you can kind of like get everything you need just from the skim of the dustbins. You don't really have to go that deep. Mm. Um, and it's yeah, it's surprisingly not not disgusting yeah you do have like some smelly stuff here and there but once you do it a few times you realize that as with everything you pass out the dirty stuff you wash the clean stuff and then you know you keep what you can keep and that's like just normal looking food Hmm. and you also mentioned an enterprise on dex uh desco road right ihong trading enterprise is actually a grocery store on yeah, Desco Road. So it's like this square where there's lots and lots of these grocery stores that supply to mostly foreign workers, like Indian and Bangladeshi foreign workers, and some Chinese. The this shop, it's not really the shop that's very special, but but the owner, mm. his name is YY, and he's part of the food rescue movement, and he's. A very very active contributor, and his shop is also his shop and his other resources are also things that he pitches in to help, um, help the the food rescue movement in general. Um, in sort of a nutshell, that he got involved with food rescue because some people were trying to dumpster dive in front of his shop. Oh, he saw them. They, he was like, "Oh, are you guys the people who are dumpster diving?" Because at this point, they had gotten some media attention. They were on Channel 8 at some point. Then he started to also lend his truck to, to bigger food rescue operations at Pasir Panjang Wholesale Center. It's, yeah, it's an example of like, yeah, one of those small shops that formed like a really, yeah, like we formed a really good relationship with and that is in, in their own small way, like making, like has, has been making a really big difference. And another thing that I saw on your Instagram was community fridges. So you guys were stocking the community fridges. Do you think that's a good idea to um, kind of uh, reduce food waste? A lot of the fridges are in like neighborhoods, especially blocks of flats with low-income residents, mm. lower-income residents, or like single-room flats, stuff like that. They have to be managed like so you can't just um like set one up really nearly you can't have no supervision there's always some kind of management yeah 
And I think the fact that they are still running and the fact that people are still kind of part of the ecosystem, both in giving, in delivering, and also in taking, I think it means that it, it is a good thing. Um, and also because there's genuinely like more food to be rescued than people can eat. Mm. Um, one thing that we always made sure of was to insist that we only want the stuff that's going to be thrown away and to explain it's not necessarily going to charity. That makes it such that it really does help to close the loop a little bit. I've like taken the stuff that I've rescued. I cook some of it. I keep some of it at home. But I've given it to like the, the, the cleaners in my estate in to like workers from my workplace to like my neighbors yeah everyone is like no one is unhappy to see fresh produce because it's like yeah it's such a wonderful thing to to have like no one's like no i don't want more fresh food yeah and sometimes for the people who like they have a bit less income having that is something that they really they feel pretty happy about like you can see that they they were happy to receive it I moved here properly about two years ago when I was 24, I think. I am living with my family and I, I live and I work with my family. My father is in Thailand. Um, he's not Thai, but he lives in Thailand and my stepmom is Thai. So they've been working together for um, about 10 odd years. Um, and my father has been living here on and off also for for 10 odd years mostly he was in singapore he would come for work or he would you know come come over for a while but a few years ago he retired and he's just been here full time since then and i after university i worked in a corporate setting for a year uh after that one year, I found that it was it was really soul sucking. I couldn't take it, and so I kind of like gave gave it a try out here. I found that what my my family here is doing, I found that it was really meaningful. I found that I I enjoyed the atmosphere here, and that I yeah I could I could do something that has more meaning to, to myself, and so I. Yeah, so I just decided to make the the move. I didn't really kind of like move here, move here, but slowly I felt that my my life like quite naturally drifted here, and so so I'm here full time now. Mm. So, what is the day to day kind of work that you do? The work that we do right now is we we work on a few different sort of sort like small social and environmental related nonprofit projects. And I also work on a homestead, which is, um, is a, I think the definition is like a piece of land that you're self-sustaining. So it's like a farm, but we try to just sustain ourselves off our, off our land. The kind of projects that we do mostly are around like, sort of like simple technology that can be used in rural areas, mostly for people who are yeah, like very remote or isolated, people who are maybe... Uh, a little like communities that are a little less well off and also work around ecosystem restoration and forest protection. Do you feel like being able to farm is a privilege? 
you know, being able to live the kind of lifestyle that you now live? Do you feel like it's a privilege? I really love and I really appreciate this question because I feel like it really, it kind of like, firstly it gets to the heart of some of my insecurities. It is, yeah, it's like 100,000% a privilege. Like I wouldn't be able to do this if I didn't have the like support of my family here, you know, if they weren't so like encouraging, if we didn't have these resources already, like this land already, if if I didn't have to I don't I don't have to earn that much money on my own. I think that it's also the best possible use of my privilege. Um, you know, it's quite funny, like whenever I speak with my uh, my in-laws or, you know, my parents about about us doing certain things in the countryside, like, they always find it very amusing. Like, for example, we, we enjoy camping sometimes. So to them, it's so like, fun. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's quite fun. Um, but for them, it's like, why would you do this, you know, when, when you are, um, when you are so privileged, when you, um, you know, like, why are you doing things? Like, why are you sleeping in the world when you have a bed in your room? You know, kind of thing. So, um, I, I think I read that you also had, you know, similar kind of thoughts about that. So, did you feel like, you know, to your parents, it was regression in a way? Like, you know, doing something that they used to, they used to do in the past, but now, you know, have moved on from? My dad, whom I live with now, he's, he's very much, he loves this lifestyle. He, to him, it's, I think we, we resonate very much in the sense that, to him, it's also something that should be natural to people living off the land, you know, farming, things like that. For my mom, she grew up in um, a somewhat agrarian environment, and then she, you know, grew out of it. The whole family became a lot more well off. They spent half their childhood in the countryside, in uh, in China, because my mom was born and grew up in China and during the Cultural Revolution. And then they moved to the city. Um, they became a lot more well off. They spent you know, most of their lives after that in the city. And then all of my you know, aunts and uncles, they have pretty good professions. You know, a lot of them are professors working in universities. They, are, they have good jobs and stuff. And so for my mom, yeah, this idea of going back to the countryside it is a regression. Like, why would you want to? I think because she associates it with what she had growing up, which is something that's very, very bitter, that was, you know, not entirely a great experience. Um, poor, very um, uncomfortable and, and things like that. And I, I think she does associate um, moving up with, yeah, like having your career kind of go from high to high. Mm. And so this is back there and then that is like following her own trajectory. Yeah. Um, one's trajectory should, would be that way. Um, and so she, she has expressed and felt um, concerned about me in this way. Like, um, yeah, you're going through a phase. Why are you doing this? Come back to the normal world. <laughs> Stuff like that. 
<laughs> like, but um, I think uh, to her credit, she, I think she recognizes that I I just do what I want, <laughs> so uh, more and more she just kind of like lets me be. Or mm-hmm. uh, um, I think because of COVID, interestingly enough. My mom, a lot of my dad's friends, a lot of our relatives, they started to realize that growing food is really important. Mm, yeah, Especially I really people that too. out in the city. Yeah. And so a lot of them have come and said, like, man, like, we, we really have to grow our own food. And what you guys are doing, it makes sense. Mm. And, you know, that's never been really a topic of conversation before. But because of COVID, that's kind of come up. Like, people kind of are like, you know, really softening to this idea that it's, it's not just, it's not lowly, it's important, it's necessary. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I think what COVID made me realise was how dependent we were on, on things like supermarkets, you know. It was shocking because, you know, COVID is like something that you would never imagine to happen in your, in your lifespan. It's like, it's so inconceivable, right? Like, how can you imagine a world where where supermarkets are completely, you know, stripped bare of the essentials like flour, sugar, eat? And then, you know, people fighting in the stores over these things, you know? Um, it's, yeah. it's so dystopian. And I think so much good has come out of it. Um, you know, I know that a lot of people are learning more about where their food comes from, you know, uh, learning mm. how to ferment, how, how to cook, you know. Mm. Um, and I think that's the beautiful thing about COVID. And, you know, especially with growing, growing your own food, Bunnings here in Australia, like everyone started buying potting mix, you know, it was completely, <laughs> seeds was out of stock. You know, my husband, my husband's company was doing so well because he works for a seed breeding company. So like their business was doing so well. Yeah. So I think COVID was really a great turning point for everyone. Do you feel that in such an environment, I mean like, you know, in Singapore where not everyone can travel and or live abroad, you know, in a rural place, what do you feel are some steps that, everyone can take to be more conscious about the environment and to reduce that reliance that they have on food systems? I think the first step is recognizing or acknowledging that we have this kind of reliance on a huge, complex and often very, like, sometimes insidious, sometimes tangled system that we don't know about. And a lot of people, like, we don't even have to talk about reducing our reliance on it or being more eco-conscious. A lot of people actually don't have the awareness that this is the case and that we are part of this system. So I think, like, learning more about that actually is, is a really good first step. Um, stuff by Michael Pollan. Um, there's this other really good book by Jonathan Safran Foer called yes, Eating Animals. I've read it. And he has a new one called We Are The Weather, right? I think so, but I've not read it. Mm. Yeah, Eating Animals was really good, even though it didn't convert me to become like a vegetarian. Um, I, I feel that 
you know, when you read certain things, right, in, in books, like, you know that, for example, you know that giving up meat is definitely, like, going to do wonders for the environment, you know, if, like, more people eat more plant-based or, like, you know, just be a part-time vegetarian, you would be um, doing so much for the environment. But I think, you know, it's so emotional and and it's mm-hmm. yeah. because yeah. it's so ingrained. And I think for me, what made the biggest difference was um, actually seeing the, the news on the bushfires in Australia and mm-hmm. hearing stories about how... Um, you know, my colleagues' families, they barely escaped with their lives, you know. Mm. And just looking at the devastation that happened mm. in the Amazon rainforest mm-hmm. and realizing that, you know, all this information is just so blatant for everyone to see. Yeah. And I think the emotional aspect, it really works for some people. I've seen other people who are like, yeah, like all these natural disasters are happening and that's really like made me feel connected to this issue yeah um like yeah like with you and the bushfires Mm. but you know there's also people who are like no i love meat yeah i can't live without pork you know there's there's people who have that other kind of emotional connection to the yeah, yeah to meat you know yeah i think for me you know i was one of those people you know because everyone in my family knew me as the meat eater they knew me as a carnivore you know I, I hated my vegetables I only wanted meat and I grew up eating meat until I moved to Australia you know and I was telling my colleagues you know I hate vegetables and they looked at me and they were like what are you talking about <laughs> because you know vegetables are yeah, so good um but I, I think I think for me it's like um when you think about eating like giving up meat. I feel that to me as a as a cook and as you know mm. a lover of food, I will never cut out meat. I will never cut out dairy completely. But for me, mm. the way my perspective is that it's not an all or nothing thing. You know, as long yeah. as you're doing a little bit, it counts for something. You know, just reducing your meals. So in the past, every single meal that me and my husband Wex ate had meat. Whether it's lunch, mm. dinner, maybe breakfast yeah. was like smoked salmon or bacon. But now it's mm. like we only eat meat like a few meals per week. So we can go mm. like four days a week without meat at all, you know. And I think that is a huge shift from where we, where we were previously. And um, mm. I think something that I realized about and something that I find very shocking about my the way people seem to perceive making changes for the environment is that a lot of them don't see that, don't see how food comes into the picture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like once they think about climate change, the only thing that they think about is like, oh, okay, you know, don't use so many, so much plastic or, or, or reduce, reuse, recycle. But I feel that there's still so much like misconceptions about doing good for the environment. Like, like, I feel that people need to be taught this in schools. Like, we need to update yeah. our syllabus. Like, yeah. there are still friends of my age group who believe that as long as you throw something into the recycling bin, it's great, you know, oh, you're doing yeah. it the environment, but you're not, you know. And then I have a lot of friends, you know, who come to visit us on holiday in, in Melbourne. And they just, like, every single meal they buy a... a 
you know, the, one of those drinks, you know, that comes in packaging. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just throw it away, you know, and they don't think about it. Because to them, you know, I don't know, like, I feel like it hasn't really sunk in, sunken in. Or people who are very fervent about using their own takeaways when they um, eat lunches, mm-hmm. they, 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 they do that very religiously, but they still eat fast food. You know what I mean? Mm, so yeah. I feel that there is still a lack of understanding when it comes to what we can all do, you know? And I think education, like what you said, is definitely one of the key steps. Mm. I feel like, yeah, like on one hand, it's like what you said, we, we kind of push the envelope little by little, right? We do a little bit, learn from that, and then like do a little bit more. But on the other hand, that it's so true that a lot of our our actions, even the ones that are ego conscious, like even my own, they don't come with a full awareness or a full consciousness of like how we relate to the world around us, which I think is the most fundamental aspect of you know being eco friendly or or should be the most fundamental aspect of just just anything in general. I mean, like, yeah, wh- wh- why isn't it that we don't spend more time asking, like, what is my place in the world? Like, what am I doing here? Or like, yeah, who am I re- in, in relation to all of this? Um, and I think, like, a lot of this, you know, like, you buy plastic or you eat fast food, you, you like to throw away stuff. That comes from a lack of consciousness that what we do, everything we do has an impact on something else. Mm -hmm. Or in some cases, especially if we live in the city, this need for the consciousness is very easily obscured because we don't actually know, like, yeah, the recycle bin, we don't actually know what goes, what happens before anything and what happens after anything. We just know, like, this is here for this purpose and then we just take it at face value but um, then the the real process behind that is very very opaque like you know it's very you don't know about it and I don't think you're supposed to know about it because it's you know yeah it's just not for you to know right so because of like how complicated so many of these systems are one thing to be more aware, I think that's quite daunting for people because it's really a rabbit hole to go down. Yes, for sure. Yeah, so I, I feel that, you know, people are like, oh my God, I don't want to get down this, go down this rabbit hole. So I don't even want to engage or think about it. And I think it becomes a, a kind of me- mechanism where, you know, this problem is so big, I can't do anything, you know, or like, what's the point yeah. in me doing something about it? Yeah. People, people should be more conscious. Like, like just a tiny bit more responsible for your own your own footprint Mm, i totally agree you know this has been so inspiring and so you know heartening i i feel that you know your perspectives are 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 something that resonate a lot with me and they're not you know thoughts that a typical singaporean would have so you know i really really enjoyed this conversation me too please come to thailand that wraps up another episode of the singapore noodles podcast my guest on the show was Do Hui Ran. You can find her on Instagram at Mermish, M-E-R-R-M-I-S-H. If you'd like to sign up for the Singapore Noodles weekly newsletter, 
To get updates and more cooking tips, then visit sgpnoodles.substack.com. And once again, thank you so much for all your support towards Singapore Noodles and I'll catch you all next week.